All right, my friends. Well, welcome back to Trekology. Here we are yet again. Thank you so much for joining us. I know we are a couple of days late from our normal release. All of those of you that wait with bated breath until noon on a Friday. <laughs> but we have a very good reason for that because making his triumphant return to the podcast is our buddy Greg. Hey, Greg. It has been a while. It has. I mean, that's for for our devoted listeners. It's only been two episodes without you, but for but you, it it's been like so long. It's been since twenty twenty two, hasn't it? It's been it almost really two months. Yeah, yeah. We recorded some episodes early, right, to make up for this. So, anything interesting happened in those two months? <laughs> yeah, we had a baby, she, a little girl. Um, she was born with some medical problems, so spent about a month in the NICU, but, uh, she's home and I'm literally feeding her as I'm doing this podcast. I'm training her to be a podcaster. There you go. Which is what all parents want for their children, right? Now, now previously you had said she was going to be a singer. Now you're going with podcaster? <laughs> I'm just saying she's very interested in the microphone right all now. All right, all right. Hey, if a two-month-old, if you can teach him to love a microphone, I mean, you know, you're, you're setting them off right. You're setting them off right. I'm guessing that's what happened to you. Yeah. Well, to be honest, I feel like by the time our kids are, are old, literally the only form of communication is going to be podcasts. No one's going to speak live. They're just going to record <laughs> it and then like, oh, like, it's like, leave me a voicemail, but it's like, record a podcast and I'll listen to it. So... <laughs> It, the the cost to entry is just too low. It's true. Too Thank low. you for Anchor for sp- sponsoring us or exactly. whatever. We're making this all possible. It's Anchor. true. I don't quite Please understand. Anchor. Right. I mean, I guess because they have Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan has like 3 million downloads a week or something crazy like that. So we're somewhere around there, aren't we? It, we're close. Uh, so that must be where they're making their money because it ain't from us. So I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Before we dive into the episode itself uh, that we're talking about today, uh, so my wife and I have almost finished the the first and only season of Strange New Worlds, uh, and it's really interesting. One, my wife really, really loves it. Uh, she's really into it. She even last night I was like, "Oh, what do you want to watch?" She's like, "Strange New Worlds," and like that was that was what she really wanted to watch. <laughs> and for me, and I think I've grumbled about this, maybe not on the podcast, but otherwise ironically the the maybe the biggest issue i have with it is captain pike virtually every time he's like i've got an idea let's go do this it's easy every single time he's wrong like he is never there's been like one time in the entire season where he has an idea and it actually works like every other time he's like oh we can go into this nebula there's nothing wrong with that it's like come on captain and and he's just he's so casual that it's very jarring for me because uh, the captains that we've had thus far have not been casual at all. And he's so buddy-buddy with everybody that it, it, it's, it throws me off a little bit. But it does strike me, and that was the one thing I was reflecting on last night, the difference between this. So now, again, we're, I mean, it's only a 10-episode first season. So we watched, I think, about 10 episodes or whatever, half of... Uh, the first season of Discovery, and that just rubbed me the wrong way. And I think Uh for me is the way Discovery presented itself is that at least in the first, I would say in the first half of the first season, every single one of those characters was unlikable. Like you were, I don't know that you were supposed to like any of them. They were all at odds with each other. The main character was a bad guy essentially because she committed mutiny and everybody hated her so we're like well i guess i hate you because you hate her and then the captain's a bad guy like it it was just very unlikable people whereas on strange new worlds i would say they are all likable i don't think there's a single character on there the closest one's the security officer um but she's kind of the like you know gruff and tough and she's got a bat like a dark past and so you're kind of like all right like you know, this is why you're a little rough around the edges, but you've you've got a heart of gold in there, I'm sure. Um, yeah. And for me, at least, that's what has always worked for me with uh, a Star Trek formula is the the likability of the characters. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Yeah, and, and I think that I think you're right about about Discovery in that way, especially in the first half of the first season. Really, the whole first season, the characters are 
somewhat unlikable. Huh. Well, like, okay, unlikable. Because <laughs> <laughs> it seems like for you, that changes. And eventually you grow to like yeah. just about all of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I think that Strange New Worlds is a really, really good show, though. Hmm. Like, I, I think that they they pulled together a good cast. I think it... I think Strange New Worlds has better legs than Discovery, huh. honest. Interesting. Um, I think it, it'll be a much longer-lasting quality show. Huh. Okay. I think, honestly, I think Discovery is about ready to wrap up. Really? So, yeah. I yeah. do think, I, I was thinking, because so we just got to the second-to-last episode, uh, um, which is where, and it's funny, like, Judy was pointing out, like, this is maybe this is just the modern form of storytelling because Game of Thrones was the exact same way, where the second to last episode of every season was where everything happened. That's where the action took place. If they were going to kill off a character, it was going to be in that episode. The Red Wedding was the second to last episode, like, on and on and on. So the same thing. This was where, like, it all happened. Two characters left the show, like, the whole, the whole thing. And... The interesting thing for me in watching that was that they've kind of claimed that the goal for this is to be full-on, like, episodic television, like the original series and Next Generation, but you can't right. do that if you write characters off. Because if somebody yeah. comes in with the 10th episode, they're going to be like, wait, wait, what happened to those those people? Where'd they go? And you, you, you'd have to do, and they do, they start every episode with previously on, which somewhat defeats yeah. the point. So maybe they're trying to walk the line, I don't know, between full episodic versus, it feels a little more Deep Space Nine-ish, where it's not really like a, like a one long ongoing story, but it's like, it's like a, um, or, or maybe that's what it is. There's a grand narrative but each episode is individual inside that grand narrative as opposed to each episode is is part one, part two, part three, part four. I think that uh, after the first season of Enterprise, you know where it had the mini arcs? Did the um, first season? No, the first season didn't. The first season was more episodic. Yeah, but yeah, it yeah. did have the, the grand storyline of the temporal Cold War. Oh, that's but a good point. I didn't think about that. Yep. I... I don't know, like Strange New Worlds, it 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 does, you know, a couple characters do leave, including I think one that was pretty important yeah. through the first through the first season. I mean, Next Generation killed off Tasha Yar. That's true, but then well, that's what I was pointing, and 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 uh, Judy and I were talking about, um, and then the same thing like season two. Dr. Crusher was gone and replaced by Dr. Pulaski. But yeah. we didn't ask any questions about that. We just moved on with our life. Like there was yeah, never... Really there, I, they might have said what happened to her in that first episode, but not much. It was just like, ah, we got a new doctor. Like, let's just move on with our lives. And then in third season, she comes back. And again, what happened to Dr. Pulaski? I don't know. Like, we just moved on. And so kind of the same thing with Tasha Yar the episode after she died, it's not like everybody was in mourning the whole time. It was just, no. well, Worf's in charge of security now. Like, like it, it just, which is kind of weird, and and they did kind of touch back on it from time to time. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's the plus and minus. Because that's what I was thinking. That's one of the reasons, I think, for the whole red shirt thing in the original series is because you can always kill off a red shirt because who cares? Like, nobody knows who that is. You're just not going to yeah. kill off McCoy or Spock or anybody like that. Because, you know, they need to be around. These are the characters everybody knows. So, Yeah. I mean, can you imagine if they if there was an episode of the original series where they kill, like in the last season, where they just like kill off Bones? Oh, yeah. You know, I that, mean, like, it would be unimaginable. Oh, right. Because that's not, how, that's not how storytelling works. I mean, even still, you have that. Right. Imagine like Bones has to go into like the reactor core and like deactivate it or something like that so they can escape from Khan's bomb. That'd be crazy. <laughs> You'd never write a story like that. But see, those are movie things. Oh, that okay. Have TV show things. Fair enough. But we wanted to dive in for our last look at Deep Space Nine. One of. I've always thought about it one of like the unique episodes where I'm kind of like people that don't give Star Trek a chance. I'm kind of like, check this episode out because I think it's, it's a story that I don't think people think Star Trek talks about because it's basically mm. about like drug addiction and withdrawal and stuff like that in a lot of ways. 
So this is The Wire from uh, Season 2 of Deep Space Nine. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, uh, I, again, I'd encourage you to go watch it. But this is the one where uh, Garrick, uh, the Cardassian on DS9, starts kind of having like seizures and like migraines and headaches. And so Dr. Bashir figures out that he actually has this implant in his brain and kind of like forces Garrick to tell him what the implant is. And it turns out it's like a a torture, like a torture preventing device where uh, the Cardassians had like implanted it into some of their agents. So if they were ever tortured, they could activate it and it would start pumping endorphins into their brains so they'd be able to withstand torture. And apparently Garrick has turned it on and left it on and now it is malfunctioning. So the only way he can survive is by turning it off and he has to go through withdrawals of having all of uh, his endorphins shut down. So um, now had you, when was the last time you saw this episode, Greg? I would guess probably five years ago. I've watched it a couple of okay. times. I, 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 you know, I, I wasn't real when you mentioned when you told me the title of it. I didn't know which one it was. Sure. I don't watch Deep Space Nine, you know, around, uh, every year like you do. But <laughs> Not every it's year. a. <laughs> but I, I didn't remember what it was about. But when you started describing it to me, then I was I, I, I felt like I was remembering it. I remember being a little confused with the Obsidian Order, like what exactly was going on with them. But uh, yeah, I, I I remember thinking, like you said, it it is one of those episodes that is that you that people don't really associate with Star Trek. Like it tackles yeah. topics that people don't really associate with that. Like you know some you know fairly heavy stuff about sure about addiction and about uh, truth and everything, which I'm you know we'll go into more detail here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and for me, like Garrick, I've always found Gar Garrick's maybe my favorite Deep Space Nine character. I've always found him so fat. One, Andrew Robinson. I mean, he's the interesting thing about Deep Space Nine is they really got like some heavyweight actors, not necessarily like A-list actors, but like Andrew Robinson. I mean, he's most known for being the bad guy in the original Dirty Harry movie. Like he's a big time hmm. character actor. Uh, I mean, even like Armin Shimmerman and Renee just Quark and Odo, like they're kind of big time like character actors as well. Same thing yeah. with Louise Fletcher. We talked about last episode bringing in Nurse Ratchet to be the bad guy, and then in season, uh, well, the beginning of season two, they bring in uh, Frank Langella to be another bad guy. So they bring in a lot of like pretty big time character actors to play these roles. And Andrew Robinson, I just his his nuance that he does that he layers his Garrick with where he is so charming and so like just his laugh and his smile. I love, or just are, are contagious. Well, maybe not contagious, but like, endearing. no, I get that. Yeah. They, they really are. Especially as we learn more about his character and who he is and everything, seeing those smiles and those laughs are, are even oh, yeah. more like they're touching. Yeah. It, it's, that I think that's what makes Garrick like an important character in 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 Star Trek. Yeah. You know, in in the in the entire franchise, he is one of the most deep characters. It's true. It's true. And that's what I find fascinating about this episode, is that so this is the first like essentially Garrick centric. I think we'd call it a Bashir centric, but it's yeah. really about Garrick. And and the fascinating thing is is that this is the closest we get from hearing actually Garrick's backstory. They never talk about it again. I mean, not to this detail. Um, mm -hmm. And there's like four different versions. It's almost like the Joker from, from The Dark Knight, where it's just like, yeah. which one of these is true? And that's why I still love, maybe my favorite final line in any Star Trek episode, Bashir asks, were any of these stories true? And Garrick says, they're all, they're all true. And Bashir said, even, even the lies especially the lies and I, yeah. I just i love that because th it, that it gives you chills it does because that's exactly who he is where it's yeah. just like uh, i think uh tane at one point says something about never tell the truth when a lie will do just as well but then at some point they also talk about like the best lie is the one that's like right next to the truth or whatever yeah so um yeah, I, again, I just find this one so fascinating, and I think it's a, it's a really good, like, challenging performance by him because he's he's not 
a terribly established character at this point. He's had kind of little cameos in a couple of different episodes, but he's got to have his like veneer he's got to have his character and then it's got to all break away and to just as he's going through the withdrawal you just get the raw anger as he is not able to have the nuance and the the facade just falls away and i i mean i love what is it his one line about like like oh there was a day doctor when i was a power and it's just like that's that's the garrick that he will not let anyone else see is that he secretly loved his 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 status back when he was like a big deal. Yeah, so it's just it's just a great performance by him, I think. It really is. Yeah. He does he does a great job of of uh you know going back and forth between between the Garrick that is the veneer, you it's know, true. and the and the one who who I don't know. Is it is it his core? Is it who he really is? Right. No, I don't think so. I think it's I think it's something because he is going through withdrawals. He you is. know, he is not really in his right mind. Right. Although that's the crazy part too is that so that he's got while he's kind of in the while he's at his angriest, while he's in kind of the throes of it, he tells one of his stories, but it's the one where is it the one where he kills Elam or whatever it is, but it's still a lie. So he still yeah. has in, it's almost like ingrained in who he is, is that like, it's not that he, I don't think it's that he can't tell the truth. Again, it's just kind of part of, uh, part of who he is, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. So I would agree with you though, that it's not like he can't tell the truth. Right, right. You know, even at this point, yeah, there is, there is truth to the veneer too. It's exactly. And it's, it's almost, again, the, 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 his final line, especially the lies that it's, yeah. it's not, it's not as, as simple as truth versus lies. And not only that, but also we get, cause we haven't really had a whole lot of like pictures of a Cardassian in, in, in Star Trek thus far. We had a couple, I mean, like I think about. Uh, which would have been about a year before, because uh, it was season six of Next Generation, where uh, Picard got captured by David Warner's Cardassian, the general or whatever, and tortured. And that was an interesting, yes, it was about Picard, but it was almost more about the Cardassian and the torture and just like all that we found out about him through that and about what it is to be Cardassian. Uh, so same thing in this, like some of that that pride and that like bluster and that same thing that we see later on with Gold Ducat, that there is this level of um, like this veneer that is part of being Cardassian is that you you proceed as though, you know, you've got it all under control. That's that's part of their uh, their persona, I'd say. Right. I, I would agree with that. So what about um and again, you know, it's been a little while, uh, and we keep talking about how unfamiliar or how less familiar you are with Deep Space Nine than I am. <laughs> but I, I don't. Uh, I mean, again, you've seen them all, you know them all. We talk about them, so you're probably far more familiar with Deep Space Nine than the majority of people out there. But any little like nuggets or or, or other little aspects of this episode that jumped out to you? I think we see Cisco once for like half a second yeah. in this entire episode how how common was that in the show um, you know thinking of yeah. other star trek shows i mean the captain's always a main character in the episode almost always huh. but how 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 common was that in deep space nine um i would say not lot not terribly uncommon i mean there's plenty of non cisco centric episodes uh, I mean, even the first season, there's a lot of Kira-centric episodes. I'm thinking of some, yeah. like, O'Brien-centric episodes. There's a few, like, you know, Dax-centric episodes, so... I mean, th this episode was almost entirely just Bashir, right. Garrick, Odo. We saw a little Quark. We saw a little... Yeah, a little bit of Quark. Yeah, Dax has a... has a What is it? Oh, she's got her plant that's dying, so she gives some, some advice with her weirdo yeah. plant. Yeah, but that's just a brief... Yeah. A brief view. It, it it it's mostly uh you know not the characters that I associate yeah. first with Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I associate Quark with 
this past right. Right. Well, and it steals the show so much. Yeah, it's interesting with an ensemble show, like because I, I feel like of of the Star Treks, DS Nine is is maybe the most ensemble show. It I really think. is. Yeah. Especially after the original series, they become more and more ensemble shows. Because, I mean, like, even I would say Enterprise, Enterprise doesn't have, has plenty of non-Archer-centric episodes. We've got Hoshi-centric episodes, and we've got um, uh, Trip. Uh, Trip's almost the main character a lot of times, because he's yeah. he's, he's just so lovable. Um, yeah, but you but the, the difference is that you still have Archer heading up the Beast story, at least. You know? I suppose. There wasn't really... There wasn't really a B story in this. Yeah. Oh, that's true. It wasn't that's even true. Dax's plant, you know, which I thought was going to be the B story. <laughs> the B story of the plant drum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not as much. Now, that's interesting. Well, because the one thing that I've always found interesting that you don't, I think, as a, as, a, as a watcher, you don't realize the characters that don't make appearances and that even like, like um, when I was reading the Star Trek wiki or something like that, it said that... Um, uh, Rosalind Chow that plays Keiko O'Brien, she's only in twelve episodes of the entire she... show. But really? she's isn't that crazy? She makes such a big a big splash. Exactly. In so the like show. she's not in this episode, but she's mentioned when, you know, about the the plant. Well let's talk to yeah. Keiko. Oh, she's gone. Like that happens again. Same thing with Jake. Jake is only in like I think like a third of the episodes of but you're always like Pre- like conscious of him it's just he doesn't actually make uh you know a, a physical appearance so it is interesting and i mean again like now i feel like with um shows like game of thrones and now like andor was kind of more of an ensemble show as well uh and i feel like there was always a desire to kind of like touch base where in almost every episode they wanted to be like, well, but where's Brienne? What's she up to? How about yeah. Sansa? Like, what's she doing? Like, and some of those episodes just got so bogged down because they're like, let's touch base with all of those. So instead to just kind of have like, they're all around. Don't worry. You're going to see them eventually. Like that's, yeah, it's just a different uh, mindset, it seems. Yeah. It's kind of a, a braver way of writing the show, too. Yeah. Because, you know, that that shows that your audience cares about all the characters. And they're not going to turn off the show because you don't show, uh, you know, Jake in that episode. Yeah, yeah. The couple of them that I noticed was one, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, Garrick, when he was in the bar, was drinking Canar, which Canar, they always talk about, is like the Cardassians' favorite booze. Uh, but nobody else likes it. When uh, Bashir goes to Anabrin Tain's house, which again, <laughs> not again, but, uh, which is also so he beams down into his living room. I mean, do people just do yeah. this? You're just like, hello, I'm in your house now. Like, that seems. Yeah, I don't but know. Tain was waiting for him too, so. Kinda. He was in another room and he's just like. And then, because, yeah, it looks like uh, <laughs> Bashir goes up to this computer and is about to, like, start tapping on things. And, oh, <laughs> Dr. Bashir. Um, but what I found really interesting was Kanar uh, is this, like, crystal, like, powder blue liquid. And I could have sworn by the time we get to the final season and Damar, I guess it's the, yeah, the final two seasons, and Damar is like an alcoholic and he's always drinking Canar. I thought it was this like brown thick sludge. So I don't know if they've changed, they change at some point to make it look less appetizing. I don't know. But I thought that was interesting that I don't know how much time, how many times we get to see Canar uh, between now and then. But Interesting. Romulan ale, that's blue already, yes, right? It looks very so similar. Maybe, maybe they needed to make a difference between oh, could be. you know, the Romulan everyone ale. Everyone loves that Romulan ale, man. Oh. Hey, can't go wrong with a good glass stuff, of apparently. Romulan, I don't know. Yep. Yep. So, um the one other one that I uh, uh that I thought was interesting uh because I, I don't think we'll have a chance to chat about it too much, but um was so they they this was the first time that we had heard much about the obsidian order this was kind of their introduction because even like dr bashir has never heard of them before he's like the obsidian order what's that all about and odo's kind of introducing him and talking about you know like their um 
there's surveillance, like, especially for us today. I mean, of course, this episode came out before uh, 9-11 and the Patriot Act and all of that. And so um, somewhat similar, though, like if we're thinking about like J. Edgar Hoover, and they talked about all of his wiretaps and just like listening to, you know, people's phone calls and stuff like that. That's kind of the picture that we get of the Obsidian Order. But I thought it was really interesting that then as the show is going on, Odo doesn't really have a whole lot of role to play he's just kind of this like background like he's very interested in uh garrick's uh uh, background like is he part of the obsidian order but we do get to see odo's techniques and that it's almost like what's the difference between what odo is doing and what the obsidian order does where it's just like listening in to quark's uh private phone call with uh the the cardassian in the middle of the night and even says like is this legal and then and odo doesn't really say any response to that or or even that line about like uh bashir saying like i hope you don't have one of these on on my phone and then odo looks at him and goes should i and and so there is this really weird like yeah, like Odo. I mean, I, does he show an admiration for the Obsidian Order? I don't know. I don't think so. But the reality is, like, I don't know. There's some level of that. What they're doing is, like, yeah, uh, Odo's Odo's morality being very similar to this organization that we do not view as more as as moral, but is overstepping their bounds. Do you think they did that purposefully, as a you know, as a dichotomy as a you know like a mirrored thing or were they just not were the writers were the writers trying to make a point with that or was it just a thing that they did i don't know i mean on one side it's so there that really makes me think of it but they never call attention to it no they don't seem yeah questionable whether uh because then later on founders come in at the beginning of next season uh and then we kind of get this idea of order and that that's part of Odo's genetic makeup is that he wants everything to be orderly. Um, and that, like, is that a precursor to that? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I think there's more, yeah, there's more of a parallel there. Yeah, because, it, I mean, we don't really get that, that episode that I would have liked to see in Deep Space Nine that is a really deep dive into Odo's, like, his techniques as the head of security, you know, because during the entire show, he does kind of sketchy stuff. Right. And, you know, it's, I, I, I would be uncomfortable with the amount of leeway he's given on the station. Yeah. I feel like they were trying to do that when they brought in like Eddington and whatever that other guy's name was, uh, where they were like, you know, yeah, Odo has too free a reign and we need to rein him in. And he gets all upset about that and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. So before we get too uh, far down this rabbit hole, I wanted us to talk about uh, two two different uh, concepts that I saw in this episode. The first one, um, I I loved the cold open where Garrick is, or excuse me, Bashir has just read this book called The Never-Ending Sacrifice. <laughs> and the more and more I think about this, the more I don't know that I'd like to read it, but I'd be really fascinated because. As I understand, this is like Garrett gives him this book or whatever that's this like the greatest epic in Cardassian history. It's basically Roots, where it's this generations of this family that give and give and give and give to the state. This never-ending sacrifice. And and I loved like, what was it? There's a line that Bashir says where he says, there's more to life than duty to the state. And, and Garrick just is like, just dismisses that. He's like, that's... That's in fact, I think he says you're a prisoner to Federation dogma and something about prejudice as well, um, which is part of like he's got a, a migraine, which is why he's gruffer than he normally would be. But there's this really interesting play in this episode between um, kind of going back to what we talked about with Star Trek Two: the good of the many versus the good of the few, or the good of the state versus the good of the individual. I thought that was a really interesting dynamic at play, which again, I know we already talked about. So what, I don't know, with this episode, Greg, does it, does that change that discussion for you at all? I mean, like my guess is as 
you know, people living in a democratic republic, we're not going to be huge, well, I don't know, do we talk about our admiration for communism too much? I don't know quite what our stance is <laughs> on that, um, but somewhat of that is the good of the state over the good of the individual. So yeah, I, I thought that part was really interesting, not not just as a as somebody who's interested about, you know, the state and our uh, individual's relationship to the state, but also as somebody who enjoys literature a lot too. You know, what, what I was thinking about was um, 100 years of solitude by uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, I believe. And uh, it, it is a, another generational story that is every generation I would argue has the same story in it. You know, it, it tells the same story like three or four times about like beginning and like kind of an Adam and Eve kind of tale. And it, so we also have literature like that, that just repeats over and over through generations. Also, uh, East of Eden by John Steinbeck, I think is about the same. Huh. You know, it, it repeats the same story through each generation. But usually in, I think, in Earth literature, it shows uh, cycles that are destructive a lot of times. Mm. Whereas in this, it was in in that service of a person to the state is something honorable. And yeah. even the title of it, I think it has such a great title too. The never-ending sacrifice. And I don't know, like part of me who believes in, you know, communal... Um, communal living and that you know maybe we should be living in love towards the rest of the people around us more yeah part of me is like yeah i mean uh, our service to others is something that should be a never-ending sacrifice but the the part of me who is also you know more anti-statist let's say also feels like the state isn't a good is not a good uh example of what what community should be Hmm. so yeah i i and especially just how the cardassians view their relationship to their to the state i think is problematic you know and i I mean that's what the show is they focus on that you know they they make sure that we know this is not a good society there's really no no bones made about that, right? You know, it, it, it's very clear that they are the bad guys, and what they are doing is bad. Right. Well, and that's what I think is uh, again kind of fascinating about, about Garrick is that I would say, especially by the end of the show, Garrick is in some ways the ideal Cardassian, where he truly believes in Cardassia, like that's his whole thing. He believes in the dream that is Cardassia. Uh, and is willing to sacrifice for that. Whereas we get like a Gold Ducat, Gold Ducat is the exact opposite. Gold Ducat is an opportunist that uses um, Cardassia for his own gain. And that, and I mean, I feel like that's the problem where a lot of capitalists and and uh, non-communists will really look at that system um, through the eyes of the Gold Ducats, of the state being the ones with power and that when we are sacrificing for that, they take it from, from us. So there are those with power and those without power. Uh, and I think you're right. Like, like the dream I think in communal living would be, we're all sacrificing for each other. But the problem is like, who's going to regulate that, um, sacrifice? Who's going to say, Hey, you, you're not sacrificing enough. You need to sacrifice more. Uh, uh, because so and so did or whatever, and without regulation, yeah, would people actually sacrifice? Uh, is the the um, I think the communist view, but the person in charge of saying how much you need to sacrifice now has all the power. And right, and and there's that. Uh, you remember that book, Animal Farm? Sure. Probably read it in high school. You know that where there's I think he's a horse. I, I mean, honestly, I haven't read it since high school, but I think about this part a lot where the, there's a horse who just keeps working all the time, takes that idea of self-sacrifice to the state, 
very seriously. And he works all the time, all the time. While all these other politics are happening with the pigs and the chickens and I don't know, all the other things, you know, all the other animals, all this horse is doing is working, you know, and eventually he just dies. And and nobody really even, you know, they notice the work's not being done, sure. if I remember correctly. <laughs> but they, But that's the only way that they noticed that the horse had died. And I feel like that's what a lot of people are afraid of with these systems is that they are going to be the only ones working and nobody else is going to uh, work as hard as they are. Hmm. But I'm going to I'm going to I'm just going to say, like, it seems like in our world right now, everybody is looking to do the least amount of work that they can do huh? and still get by, you know, that it, it seems like the idea of sacrifice is really looked down on, you know, just do the least amount of work that you can do and, and to get by. And that's it. You um, know? Maybe. I mean, I, I have a hunch that for most people, I think sacrifice is limited to who you're sacrificing for. I have a hunch that a lot of people would say they sacrifice for their family. Some people might say they sacrifice for their friends. Um, do they sacrifice for their like company they're working for? Sometimes. Uh, I think sometimes, like depending on the company, if they believe in what it is that they're doing, stuff like that. I mean, even like church folk, uh, uh, like whether they're, they're serving or they're like volunteering or, or whatever, uh, sometimes I think that's seen as a, as a sacrifice, is that I'm not getting paid to you know, uh, work the snack bar or something like that, um, but I'm sacrificing for this, like, this community or this organization or, or whatever. But I think you're right, like a... There, there, and 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 I do wonder how prevail prevalent, um, like like the old uh, adage or or legend or whatever of the welfare queen, uh, which I think I don't know Reagan or somebody else came up with, where it was this idea that there's this person or maybe a ton of people or whatever that's just sitting there uh, collecting all of these welfare checks so they never have to work a day in their life, and so all of us who are working are just providing for this moocher. And there's a part of us that I think really is bothered by that. Um, like, like it's, it's the thing, too, that I've heard about, like, the Christian adage of uh, turn the other cheek. Where it's just like, that kind of sounds like then we're pushovers. Then we're just going to get beaten up on. Like, hey, you want to slap me on the cheek? All right, slap me on the other cheek. Like, we're just going to sit there and take it. And there's a part of that is that is, is very like un at least un-American, if not un um I don't know, that level of humiliation and um And self sacrifice. Yeah, I mean like it's not just self sacrifice. I well I don't think people would phrase it that way. I think they phrase it as more saying that you are better than me. Or whatever, like letting you, if you slap me and I don't retaliate, I'm letting, I'm letting you do this. I'm letting you walk over me. And there's a part of me that doesn't like that. And you I know, think that's, that's a challenge. That's what's so revolutionary though, in that, that teaching and the teaching of Jesus is that Amen. we, we, we can be, you know, in the same, in the same set, he, he also talks about like, if somebody asks for your for your shirt give them your jacket too right something like that and it's like that's i mean we just don't see christians doing that sure and we we have you know a lot of of unhoused people Mm -hmm. you know on the streets and stuff a lot of them and what i hear at church a lot is hey yeah there's all these homeless people i feel really unsafe I don't give them any money because that will just encourage them, right. you know, to be around here and to be asking for money. And they're just going to spend it on alcohol and drugs anyway. Yep. And I think, wow, we're saying that here in church. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I can't imagine Jesus being cool with that. Right. right. With that kind of, with that kind of action. It, it, the same Jesus who said, like, give give the guy your shirt, too. Yeah. Really, what should we be doing? Yeah. You know, what kind of sacrifice 
should we be making for our community? And even if you can't put it in terms for some sort of, you know, because of your own hangups, if you can't put it in terms of sacrificing to other people who might be, you know, taking advantage of you or whatever, then put it in terms of God. Like I'm giving, I'm sacrificing this because of God. Yeah. Well, and that was actually, that was something too. I've been wondering this, this week specifically is, um, like, and maybe we've talked about this before about how like, are, are humans capable of truly selfless acts? Are they truly capable of something that does not benefit them in any way? Or, or is that, does there have to be some level of benefit to myself in order for me to do something? Uh, and that was what has kind of bothered me as I've been thinking about, uh, even like in, in the Bible, there's a number of times where Jesus will talk about like, um, like when you pray, go into a a closet and your father who sees what is unseen will like, will, will reward you. Uh, or the like this idea of like your reward lies in heaven where it's like so are we sacrificing because we know we'll still get something eventually it just might not be in this life or it might not be whatever but like it will still be i'll still get what's mine i'll still get something for me so it's not really selfless it's it's just delayed gratification in some ways like I'm gonna get, ooh, I'm gonna get heavenly treasure. That's gonna be so much better than this treasure on earth. Like, is I don't know. I don't know. That's that's kind of bothered me about like, yeah. Again, this idea like, uh, does even Jesus think that like we we can't be truly selfless? We've got to get something out of it for ourselves. I don't know. I don't think that just because Jesus said those things, that's the only way for humans to be. In, in the Bible, I think that we see a lot of like descriptive stuff of what's going on in the world right now Uh and how do we handle it? And also what is the ideal of what we should be? You know, that's, I I use the example a lot of this, of uh, the idea of divorce. Like God says, once two people are married, the, you know, no divorce, there is no good divorce. Right. You know, that that is just not something that is uh, is available to that because it's it's sacramental. You know, this the, the idea of marriage is sacramental. Yep. And then you also get instructions on like how to, to divorce somebody, you know, what and what in what times is it acceptable? You know, so you get both in the Bible. So okay. what are we to do with that? You know, and I think I think what it is, is that God knows. Like, divorce is going to happen, you know? So there are some, because we're fallen we're fallen people, divorce is going to happen. So here are some guidelines to make it less terrible. Mm. So but, this isn't the ideal, but, well, and that's even like, because isn't that, that, that that's another line of Jesus where, where he says about like, uh, uh, God allowed for this because of your hardness of hearts. Exactly. This idea exactly. that like, you weren't supposed to, divorce at all but like because you were doing it anyway at least give them a certificate so people don't think that they're damaged goods or whatever right i mean even even in the catholic church which is very anti-divorce you know we still have the process of annulments you know which is like well maybe you guys weren't really married you know and and i i guess i've i've had problems with that i i see the need for it and especially, I mean, the Catholic Church is a worldwide church, and in some places of the world, you have very coercive measures of of marriage, you know, which I don't think is right. is technically marriage. Um, so you 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 do have this need elsewhere, but I don't know. I feel like it is it is widely used, and kind of I don't know more of. Uh, of descriptive of what the hardness of our hearts than the ideal of what we should be doing. Huh. And I, I think that that's the same as what Jesus is talking about. Like that 
we have all these rewards that we get in heaven for doing good stuff down here. That's that's because of the hardness of our hearts. That that kind of description is because of the hardness of our hearts. But ideally, we would see that sacrifice of Jesus. That is, you know, when we think of Jesus, the pinnacle of Jesus, the biggest thing about Jesus is his sacrifice. Right. That is the ultimate, you know, like uh, Platonian idea of Jesus is his sacrifice on the cross. That is what that that's what we should be trying to emulate as Christians. If we are going to call ourselves little Christs, right. we should be thinking about self-sacrifice, about that sacri- that kind of sacrifice that Jesus would made, even to death, right? Right. Death on the cross for people who don't deserve it. That's the challenge too, like with like what this is talking about, sacrifice in general versus sacrifice to the state as well. And that's where it does become, like we talked about before, uh, like I thought that was really interesting with Garrick's story assumedly like if we can glean what we think is the actual truth out of this it seems like there were these children that he was torturing and he let them go and because he chose sympathy over the good of the state that's why he was exiled or or maybe it was seen as like a it seems like it was maybe a personal betrayal that an Abram Tain felt like you disobeyed me like so it's not just the state you disobeyed but you disobeyed me um but yeah, choosing compassion, if there's a choice between compassion and the state, like that's another, that's another challenge too, where it's like, one would hope that that's not a choice you would ever have to make. Um, but in that, you know, in those cases, that's, um, I, yeah, I'd be very curious to find like, what does Garrick, does he actually regret that? Like if he had to make that choice again, would he choose sympathy over what the state has told him to do. Yeah, I I wonder, like, if you took Garrick a few seasons down the road yeah. and you asked him, you know, first you had to get to what the actual truth behind that story right, is. Right, exactly. But if you asked him if he regretted that, what he would say, because yeah. I, I really don't know. I don't know. I right. mean, like you said, by the end of the show, Garrick is like, the perfect Cardassian, you know, yeah. one who is willing, who is who, who sees his sacrifice to the state in selfless ways. Right. I don't know if they ever make a connection, but like at the, by the end of the show, we start seeing Worf as the ideal Klingon, where Worf has this view of what Klingons are supposed to be, where they're supposed to be honorable and they're supposed to be this and that and the other and Ezri actually brings up about how like but Cardat like the Klingon Empire isn't like that the Klingon Empire is corrupt and they've got like you know Martok or not Martok at the time it's Gowron like Gowron is out for himself like that's what it means to be Klingon and that uh it is interesting because then the same thing with um Quark we see Quark as being the ideal at least in his eyes the ideal Ferengi is that Ferengis have started to become more about compassion and more about stuff. It's like, no, we're supposed to be about profit, and that's it. So, like, to heck with you all, I'll be the ideal um, Ferengi. Uh, and this, so it's maybe that interesting thing is that, so then, same thing, is is then Garrick the ideal Cardassian, and that the ideal Cardassia should, the state should be sympathetic. That the state should make the right choices and if it's the choice of torturing children versus that, that that knew nothing the state should make the right choice and and that's that challenge i think maybe that's what garrick is wrestling with where it's just like but it as the individual it's not my place to question the state like that's the whole point is the state is always right um so what happens when the state is wrong i think is is his re- what he's been wrestling with maybe for right. uh, all those years what what should Cardassia look like? I mean, we we have our own our own ideas here on Earth, but I mean, Cardassia and its people are very different people. Right, right. That's hard to say what it should look like. I mean, I I'm just going to go on the record here saying, like, you know, torturing kids is bad. That's good. I'm, I'm, that, that's a that, bold that's, statement you're making. Right. Yeah. 
So that's that's my two cents about that. <laughs> okay. I'm but, glad you're on the record with that. <laughs> I was a but little I was I wasn't sure where you stood, so Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just the the fact that you're not agreeing with that just I'm still waiting I, I'm to see all the facts. I'm still waiting to see, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm undecided. I did want to uh, touch on one more thing because uh, kind of a main theme, I guess, of this episode is this whole thing of addiction or, or basically like uh, Garrick dealing with his emotional pain through uh, drugs uh, or through... Uh, like, I would maybe extend it into... Um, like dealing with your emotional pain physically. Mm. And I'm assuming, maybe I shouldn't, but I'm assuming neither of us have much experience in being addicted to like narcotics. Is that fair? No, I mean, I, I have a newborn right now and okay. I am drinking so much coffee. There, okay, that's, that's like fair. A, that's not a narcotic like, though. An insane amount of caffeine is going Okay, and, that, <laughs> and we can talk about that too. Um, but at the very least, let's say illegal but No, not narcotics. narcotics. Yes, no. okay. So because that's the one thing that, and, and uh, I, I've been thinking a lot since, actually I think we brought it up on one of these podcasts, about needing to walk a mile in people's shoes. And so I don't want to presume to know what it is like to be addicted to uh, a narcotic because I'm sure that's, you know, again, if we're going to talk about caffeine or we're going to talk about, you know, whatever the different addictions that we have, I don't know that that's the same. Um, and I don't want to, yeah, presume that it is. Um, but at the very least, like, from this episode, like, I can appreciate the fact that like like the the line that I find just like heart wrenching is where Garrick is talking about how you know like uh, um, so one day I just switched it on and left it on. Living on this station is torture for me. Oh, like yeah. it's always too cold, and I'm surrounded by people who hate me. And like I can't imagine what that experience is like. Where like just ima- I mean it's almost like imagine being I mean the nothing like this existed imagine being a free black man that owned a farm in the slavery south like imagine what that life would have been like that you're gonna go to the the feed store or i don't know where they congregated and you're surrounded by white people who all look at you like you are less than them um and but yet you're you're you know, you're not a slave at that point. I don't know. I, I I can't even wrap my mind around what that experience would be like. But then choosing to deal with this emotional pain with a physical, like, whatever. Uh, one, I mean, obviously we can look at it from the outside and be like, that's a bad choice. Like, okay, sure. But one, I have a hunch that, like, we tend to do this a lot um, just as humans uh, especially as i don't know americans or whatever um but then the second thing is is that it feels like there's a lot then that goes into that dynamic um like at least for me like in some of the addictions like i don't know about coffee although i have noticed like definitely there are times where um i feel like i've been drinking a lot of coffee and then so i'm like you know what i'm gonna go a couple of days without drinking coffee and all of a sudden i get headaches and i'm just kind of like tired all the time and i'm like oh i really was drinking too much coffee i guess if this is what it's doing (laughs) to my body but there's a certain level in some of the other like things that i um try to kind of break free from that i don't know i feel like there's a certain level of guilt that's attached about the like i should be stronger than this i should be able to do without this which i don't know that we see in this episode i don't know that garrick feels guilty that he's so weak that he had to turn on this um this 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 drug basically um but i I don't know i i wonder if that how that fits into addiction i mean i i feel like it's understandable that garrick turned it on he knows he has this implant you know like it's available to him all the time and all he has to do is cause himself a little bit of pain to get it to activate you know he builds that device he hides it in his in his desk and he says it starts slow right you know a couple hours like maybe just when he gets home and he needs to relax a little bit turns it on you know and and it just gets more and more until one day he just turns it on and doesn't turn it off sure 
I I have never gone out to like try to buy drugs or something. You know, I don't I don't know how easy that is. Okay. It, it it's always seemed like a like an effort to me. To, to go out and I'm try sure to the find first something. time I would hunch the first time it is, but yeah. Yeah, I I had a friend explain to me once that that these days it's actually he 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 described it as a farmer's market. Huh. You just have to find where it's going to be. <laughs> I I have no idea if that's true or not. But it's understandable if you have access to this thing that you would give into it, you yeah. know? It, that's I think that's human nature. Sure. I I mean we all deal with our stress and our issues in different ways. Right. And I mean, I will eat a lot of candy when I'm stressed. Mm. And I, I'm not trying to like equate that with with drugs, I'm just saying that it's very easily accessible to me. Right, right. And I'm able to do that. Yeah. And it helps a little. Yeah. You know, when we had uh, COVID uh, last year, all I wanted was a slice of chocolate pie. And a friend of ours went out and got me a chocolate pie. And okay. I was just so thankful for that. Because it helps. Interesting. And I I can I can understand Garrick turning that on. Yeah. It's with him all the time. It's easily accessible. Yeah. And I mean I mean maybe even a closer analogy, or maybe not closer analogy, but a different analogy would be instead of like narcotics would be alcohol. Where it's just like somebody loses their job. And and I mean like having lost a a couple of jobs uh like it's tough and and i mean especially like you know you have a family to support uh especially if it's something that you like screwed up and it was it was somehow your your responsibility your fault or something like that then there's like the guilt and the shame that's involved with it um you know the the fear of how am i gonna you know support my family or how am i gonna eat tomorrow or something like that and um the idea that you know this will will numb that pain because at least for me, like what I've found is is somewhat of the scary thing is that I don't know that it's in those cases. I don't know that it's necessarily the goal of I want to feel good. It's I want to feel nothing. I want to just mm. be numb. And that's 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 the and I mean, it's the interesting thing again with Garrick is that you wonder pre this episode, Garrick always has a smile on his face and he's always so chipper and he's always so and like. You wonder why. I mean, he's had this endorphins pumping into his system ever since we met him, which is one thing that is interesting is that that doesn't really change. Uh, he's not like grumpy from now on. I don't know if those endorphins just got him to a to a zero as opposed to an active like, oh, no, actually, I feel good now. Um, I just want to not feel bad. And that's and that's another shame where it's just like man so that that's the goal here. The goal here is not f- feeling good is off the table. Like just not feeling bad is the goal. And that's yeah, that's that's really that's really sad. It is it is very difficult. And that so many people are feel like they the only place that they can turn is to something that's destructive to them to to them and the people around them. Yeah. is it's heartbreaking. Right. You know? And it's not and, like, and, it's not like at this point, anyone's like, what? Like drugs and alcohol will actually have a negative, like everybody knows that it's going to do, I mean, maybe they justify and they're like, well, it's not gonna really be that bad. I'm just going to have, you know, a beer or two or something like that. Um, but it's, it's not like, yeah, again, it's not like it's a mystery where it's just like, you know, yeah. You know, we can go we can go on about how how bad these drugs are and everything and how like there's so many better places you can go for support than to cocaine or whatever. But the truth is like Garrick where else? Yes. W- what else could he do? Yep. You know, I'm mean, obviously not turn it on. You know that but that's such an easy answer. Yep. It's not like he could go talk to somebody. Nope. Like Oh, my time in the with the Obsidian Order was so was so hard for you know nobody's going to understand that. Yep. You well, know, like, even at the end of this episode, I mean, he has Bashir. You know, finally he has like a friend, but it's not like he opens up to Bashir. Right. 
you know right. it because he still has yeah he can't to a certain extent like right. you're not like you don't know what i know and he even says at one point like if you and, and then there, there's an interesting thing that we don't see because he doesn't let us see it but there's a certain level of fear i would say where like if you knew the things that i would have done you would not be trying to help me like mm-hmm. you don't know how evil i really am and i think that that's like i mean you're, you were talking about like um you know the, the 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 houseless people that um, you know people are like oh they're gonna just use this money to go buy drugs and stuff like that. Um, which the sad thing is like that may that may be true in certain cases, but same sort of a thing. Like who in the world do they have to talk to? Like a lot of them, they don't have community, they don't have friends, uh, and like there's a like I remember talking to uh, one guy who was talking about like you know what's it like to go to sleep like on the street is that you you don't know like he's he said he's woken up with people standing over him and sometime with knives that are wanting to steal his things or whatever like you that's a that's a terrifying thing that when you go to sleep you don't know that you're going to be you're going to wake up that you're going to be safe to fall asleep like that's yeah it's just it's a it's a not not to, again not to say that necessarily that that uh you know so drugs are the answer um but yeah, it's just it's the the lack of alternative, I think is what makes it yeah. doubly heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, in using your example of of the like a a freed black man in the antebellum south. Yeah. Where where is he going to go to turn you know, where is he going to turn to? Right. You know, there is nobody who is in his situation. Yeah. who can understand his situation nobody else in his in his vicinity yeah yep so it it's it's really difficult for people in those situations and and what what are we what are we supposed to do with that right. you know what what is our i mean thank god that we are not in that situation right Right. Well, and that's what I really appreciated. The the one there's the one line which is not surprising. It's like what you would expect a doctor to say. But there's the one like when they first shut off the implant, and um, Bashir says something like, "I promise I'll help you through like whatever we're going to face." And like there's a part of that that's beautiful. That is just like, and then again, that's that's what it takes. Is that if it's like you know uh, this is gonna be a rough road. And I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Like that's huge. And again, like you know, there's a lot of houseless people, a lot of addicts, a lot of you know people in the prison systems, a lot of people that are struggling with this stuff that either don't have anybody that would do that, or they don't think they do. And, yeah. and that's yeah. Like for us, like like you're talking about sacrifice. Like that's 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 a pretty thankless job. Um, but I think that's that's. Uh, yeah, that's a role that that hopefully we can uh, uh, we can play. Yeah, because that's true. That Bashir doesn't know, right? He doesn't yeah. know, but he is he is promising that he's going to be there. Right, right. And, and it is that interesting maybe, thing. Is it is it because he's a doctor? Is it because he's a, he's his friend? I have a hunch it's because he's his doctor. Like he would do as we saw as we see in later episodes. Like he does it for the Jem Hadar. Uh, he would do it for. For anybody just because he's that devoted to being a doctor um, yeah i think yeah that it's maybe doubly because he uh, i don't know if he considers himself garrick's friend there's kind of that interesting interaction with dax where he's kind of like i guess we're not friends i mean i don't really trust him but i feel like i don't know Gar- <laughs> bashir at this point has very few friends so um i guess Dax would be his his one friend, but like most other people don't really like him. <laughs> so Garrick he's not is kind very of likable, yeah. yeah. No, he's not. <laughs> and and that's the interesting thing is that Garrick, he and Garrick have this very interesting dynamic that um Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's you know, but, a desire in I mean, part too. Yeah. May may God grant us the strength though to do what Bashir does, even Amen. even yeah. to somebody who's not our friend. Yeah. And that I mean that's that's the goal, right? That even people who aren't our friend, we take care of. Yep, yep, yep. Well, I know. Yeah, that's one thing I know. Like, as I've been uh, interviewing to be a, a, um, 
a youth pastor. One thing that comes up a lot is talking about like transgender people and people struggling with, you know, being homosexual and, and churches obviously have a lot of different views on that. Um, and one thing that I've said, like every, every single interview I'm in is that I think what we need to do, what this, what a ministry that I run would need to do is it needs to create a safe space where they can bring that. Where they're they're gonna they're gonna not feel like I'm gonna be judged or you're gonna hate me or you're gonna kick me out or something like that. But this is a safe space where I can say, "Hey, I'm wrestling with this. Can you can you wrestle with me?" Um, and mm. some churches, you know, get that. Some churches don't. But like for me, I, I feel that yeah, I feel like that's again that that that's what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be a self safe, welcoming place for everybody for people. Yeah, that are wrestling with those things that are that have have screwed up and have come back or or are still currently screwing up this should still be like you know hey a safe space for you yeah i mean that that's who jesus was with you know that's who jesus right. was with during his ministry he wasn't with the saints he wasn't hanging right. out with the pharisees he would he would have been there for garrick oh <laughs> That's good. Let's, That's true. Let's all be there for Garrick. Let's all be there for the Garricks in our lives is what we have <laughs> to say. Amen, my friend. All right. Well, uh, we were trying to do a short episode and we failed. So here we are, though. Let's uh, wrap up this one in our, our jaunt through Deep Space Nine. Um, please join us next episode where we will dive into Voyager. So that will be interesting because uh, neither Greg nor I are terribly <laughs> familiar. So um, it should be, it should be, it should be an interesting, uh, uh, an interesting jaunt as we, we find some episodes to discuss. Would, would you say it would be an interesting trek? Oh gosh, I would not say that. No, no. <laughs> All right, my friends, again, thank you for joining us. Please come and join us. Uh, next episode, hopefully we will be healthy and available and uh, able to chat some more. But for this episode, my friends, we will sign off by saying, Live long and prosper. Peace and long life. <laughs>